0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Shouldn't you
2: be at work? And
0: love. Oh I'd love. He's got a real chance now, Peter and Love! John Walk will take the penalty. Up goes Dion Dublin! Unknown goal from Ruddock. Oh my! Break here for
3: Kiwabia. Panister and Bruce in the queue again. Bruce,
0: goal!
4: Goal leg, okay. hit leg, hit leg over the top. It's done now.
0: Now you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly? Yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh, and he hasn't. no. no.
5: Hello and welcome back to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? I am Chris Gold. joining me, Josh Widdicombe. Hoi hoi. And some say he sat across me wearing Brian Clough's green jumper. Others claim he's wearing early 90s Middlesbrough shorts and socks from the waist down with a tie and blazer up top. It's Michael Marden. Hello. Um,
3: On that, I was in the change room at the gym the other day and I saw a guy, he had a green umbro jumper. Oh wow. He had a Clough jumper
5: and I thought... fucking cool (laughs) with the white collar just perched (laughs) he didn't have the white he was an alcoholic (laughs) no but I
3: ended up I went and googled it I was like should I get one of these but they don't I couldn't find them oh that's a shame do you think it would be a really lame thing to have or a really good
5: like conversation point well I think someday down the pub if you turned up in a green umbro jumper, you might get some envious looks. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> From the of wine. But don't wear it on
3: first dates.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Although, it's a good way of finding out. If you wore that and it broke the ice in a good way, yeah. you're on a winner. She's a keeper. <laughs> She's a keeper.
5: <laughs> Mark that- Crossley would be the keeper. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we crack on with some correspondence?
2: Yes. yes, please. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the Electronic Postbag
5: you got mail. Right, got an email from Ed Whitehead. Your Lee Sharp fan club conversation took me back to an exciting moment from my childhood. As a Man United fan, a highlight of visiting my grandparents in Klandudno was a trip to the Man United shop, upstairs at a birthday's card shop. One day in the summer holidays of 1994, we heard whispers that a special guest would be arriving. Who could it be, we wondered. Ryan Giggs, Mark Hughes, or even Clayton Blackmore... Seemed the obvious choice to my nine-year-old mind. Alas, the special guest was none other than Fred the Red. Probably was Clayton Blackmore. In spite of my obvious disappointment, I had a chat with him, quite a one-way affair, and even got his autograph, Simply Signed Fred, which remained a cherished possession for many years. ed Whitehead. bizarre. Meeting mascots is a I've, weird thing. Yeah, I've done this with Pilgrim Pete. I remember
3: getting him to sign something, Yeah, but he, he struggled because his big fat hands. <laughs>
2: I wondered if Fred the Red... So, Fred the Red was at the Lee Sharp fan club party. Do you think it's the same guy well, that goes around as Fred the Red?
3: I can't speak for Fred the Red, but I... I know, we, I know what you're going to say here. Oh, do you?
2: Is it about Mr. Blobby?
3: No. Oh.
5: Uh, <laughs> and, and please continue <laughs> with that. not for this.
3: But, no, Um, we had Gunnosaurus on the last leg. And uh, one of the producers two years ago got married. And he was an Arsenal fan. He'd had Gunnosaurus at the church. <laughs> and Gunnasaurus came up to me and Alex Brooker was like, oh, you were at that wedding I did. So that was the same, same guy. <laughs>
2: um, did Brian Robson own birthdays or if I made that up? That is a thing. We had an email about that from someone. I think he did. That he, he definitely, at some point, either owned a card shop or had stocks in a card shop business.
5: I think he owned birthdays. Do you know what? This might make a fascinating feature. Do I remember this correctly? Oh, right, yeah. How does that work? How, how- essentially it works like this oh it's like a fact checker yeah you tell us what you remember and then we look into it and maybe ask other listeners if they remember it just as well that's a great feature
3: and could the theme tune be The (laughs) X-Files
5: done (laughs) look forward to that next week Um, have we got time for a quick Phil Thompson directory oh do we have to come on Josh you can do this oh god
2: Hello, I'm Phil Thompson. I know all about your neighborhood. It's all in your Phil Thompson local directory. Need a plumber? Ask Phil
4: Thompson. In your Phil
5: Thompson local directory, nothing's more than a few miles away. So, for the local answer, ask Phil Thompson.
3: Still as funny as it ever was (laughs) that, isn't it? I really like that. (laughs) Just a quick note, uh, this is from Tom Belger. Just a quick note from former footballers and where they've ended up. John Lukic and Paul Elliott have ended up in a specialist property finance industry. Lukic is a BDM at Autos Secured Finance and Elliott works at the Century Capital.
2: That's the Are end we of the feature. Still doing this that week? feature? <laughs> I mean, the only reason I'm happy to see that feature is did you ever hear that rumor about Simon Cowell that he would put himself as a performer on every single song that he produced or made for his record label because right. then he would get a share of the royalties oh right if this show ever gets syndicated then my voice on (laughs) Your Texas directory is going to pay my mortgage for the next 20 years
5: okay we've had this one but last email and it's from Andy Wilkins and he wants us to investigate something the investigation is thus it's an article that he's pointed out to us from the Daily Mail and it begins like this oh former Bristol City striker Soren Anderson has shared his theory over why Burnley boss Sean Dyche has such a gravelly voice um, Josh you want to guess why you might think Sean Dyche has a, a gravelly voice just um, why would you have a gravelly oh, smoking I suppose smoking gargling with gravel probably knowing yeah. what it's like up Does in he- Burnley is he a huge stoner? Sean Reggae Deich. I
4: don't know. <laughs> um,
5: well, on a Danish podcast called Fodbold it, I don't know why I tried Can to say Can I just say, that. when you
3: said Sean Reggae Dyche, I was looking for a reggae 90s football pun. Yeah. Um, Chris Scratch Perry? <laughs> is that, is that nice. worth having? <laughs> was it worth dragging it back for that?
2: Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave it in,
5: though. Yeah, so talking on this Danish podcast, Fod Bold Soren Anderson said his theory is that the voice might come from eating rainworms. What? Because every time we trained, Sean Dice used to eat rainworms. What a rainworms? It was disgusting. Very strange. He's a good player. I enjoyed being around him. But the thing with the worms was really strange. Huh? <laughs> There was always worms around, and everybody always commented on it being disgusting and complained a bit, so I think maybe it was a bit of provocation as to show that it wasn't something we should focus on or care about. So he just ate one or two. What the Sean hell Dyche. is wrong with him? What is a rainworm? Uh, it says the Danish, the Danish term for earthworm. Oh, okay, sorry. But it really does shine it. Oh, a, that's
2: sh- awful. Shines a new light on Burnley's success, doesn't it? Yeah. Sean Dyche had to come out in a press conference. And, and deny oh did this was true yeah yeah you've done your research well no it was a little while ago it sort of blew up on social media a bit and basically so people kept asking him the question over and over <laughs> again so that in a pre-match press conference he had to just cut it off at the pass and say like look I do not eat rainworms but He did it with such a glint in his eye that I think he does or did eat (laughs) rainworms. He came out with a uh, T-shirt with earthworm Jim on it.
3: (laughs) Anyone got any questions?
5: (laughs) Well, if you've got any more to contribute, maybe evidence that Sean Dutch does eat earthworms, get in touch, hello at quicklykevin.com.
3: Wow, Chris, we mentioned John Lukic earlier, and why wouldn't we? And speaking of Arsenal 1989,
5: Lee Dixon. Arsenal's corner. It's Dixon! Well, when it looked as though they would never find a goal, Dixon scored a fantastic one. Our guest this week is a giant of 90s football. He's won four league championships, three FA Cups, a UEFA Cup Winners' Cup, twice selected in the PFA Team of the Year, along with 22 England Caps. It's our pleasure to welcome to Quickly, Kevin, (laughs) Lee Dixon. Absolutely. I'm just making sure you got those stats right.
1: Yeah,
3: I can see your mind working. Any count. charity
1: shields or anything we've missed? Yeah, we don't count them. We, we count them now, obviously.
3: Yeah. People, players count them now, but they, we never
5: used to because it wasn't a big thing. But I think it's Mourinho started yeah. it when was he it? started like clocking up his trophy. <laughs> <laughs> um, we want to ask you some settling questions, firstly. Settling?
3: I'm, yeah, settling. I'm settled. You don't need to answer whether you've got any freebies from JVC then. Yeah, I did. What Campcorder. did you get? <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> I was speaking to one of the lads the other
1: day, or the other week, about that specific thing, about... I remember when we JVC I think we saw a JVC something and remember when we used to go what did you get because the first season we did anything good Mm. we all got to go and pick something so we all picked different things and
5: um but the camcorder was the thing then, wasn't it? it was yeah. Like... Did you ever take any of your home videos in the dressing room? Did you ever bring the camcorder in? The no. no? no. You weren't allowed in the dressing room, no?
1: No, that was banned. That was like, behind the scenes didn't happen yeah, back yeah. then. We didn't really want people to know what went on behind the scenes. It was mostly
4: drinking.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think people got an idea. Yeah, that. yeah, <laughs> yeah really. there was yeah. an element of that. We again. thought it was all secret as well. <laughs> <laughs> you all knew. Damn.
5: So, re- rewinding the clock. How good were you at football at school? Like, Were you ridiculously better than everyone else?
1: No, not really. We didn't play football at my school. I only went to Wimslow Grammar School, uh, passed me 11 plus and went to the grammar school. They played rugby, hockey and lacrosse. And my mate, who we was inseparable growing up, he failed his 11 plus and went to the Huff, which called, and that was over the railway next door. So there's two schools next to each other and they played football and I was like why didn't I just fail (laughs) and I could have gone there and I could have played football and so I played rugby so I played up for a Sunday team that was the only way I could play football and I was I know you're going to start laughing at this um, but I was a striker when I was a kid
3: but all the best players are all the (laughs) because you're not going to be bossing the game from right back are you (laughs) no not like you did in your career exactly
1: (laughs) No, I um, we had a really good Sunday team, and if if I didn't score four or five goals on a Sunday and we win ten nil, something was wrong. We used to win the league every year. We used oh, to win yeah. every. I used to goals, 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 and I was like goal machine. Yeah. every time the ball came to me, I knew where the goal was banged in, and it was like. <laughs> and then my dad. It was all about my dad really, because he was in. A, he used to play goalkeeper for Man City reserves back in the fifties. So. Um, he was understudy to Bert Troutman, uh, played three years as a pro. But in those three years, met a load of people and players then went to be coaches. And one of the guys who, who, who he, he knew, he was ended up as chief scout at Burnley. So I'm 15, 16, getting ready to be, try and get an apprenticeship somewhere. Nobody had spotted me, you know. Yeah. And my dad said, I tell you what, I'm going to ring uh, Gordon Clayton up and ring him up. So he ph- phoned him up. He said, you were still at Burnley. He went, yeah, could have a look at Ollie. He goes, funny enough, there's a trial next week. But mm. it's, there's 50 lads coming down next Sunday. So bring him down, you know. So I went down. The day before, I sprained yeah. my ankle playing rugby at school. Couldn't do the trial. So I went anyway. And he uh, so limped out the car. And he went, well, you've got a trial? I said, I can't. So they culled it from 50 to 5. And then two weeks later, he said, come back in two weeks and you can just train with the five that we've
3: Oh, taught. you made the cut by being injured.
1: <laughs> so instead of being in, in, a, in 50, I was in this, yes. this group of five and me, and, I, and, I, and they had a little game, train with the, the A team and stuff like that. And uh, I was playing midfield then. I had a blinder and he went, tell you what, you've missed the apprenticeship because we've already signed up these players. So come as a non-contract player, come in your school holidays. And my dad said, look, come and work for me because he had his own business, sweep a few cellars, get rid of the rats in the, that's what I was doing basically. Sweeping cellars? Because he had a, he he was in an old bus depot and it was all, it was a butcher's supplier and he used to have sausage skins in buckets and he used to keep them down in the cellar and I had to go and clean all the cellars out in the morning. And then in the afternoon I'd maybe go and train or in school holidays, my dad used to give me like 30 quid a week and then I'd go and train at Burnley. And uh, I did that for about six months. And they said, look, you need to train a bit more. So my dad went, just go and train with the apprentices. So Gordon Clayton got me a place to train with the apprentices full-time and not getting paid anything. And then at the end of the year, they, they, made, they said, tell you what, you've done really well, we'll give you a year's pro contract. So I signed pro for a year when I was just turned 18. And were you at that point thinking this is going to happen? Well, basically, with the, the first day I signed pro... I literally came out the house, I was living with my mum and dad in Cheshire, and I came out of the house and I walked down the street and I literally asked every single person who I didn't even know, I was just, what they did for a living. I used to go, oh, so so, what did you do for a living? They go, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a shopkeeper. I said, oh yeah, I'm a pro footballer. <laughs> <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> I was so proud that I, I, pr- I yeah. could say I was a pro footballer and I was a pro for a year and then John Bond came as their manager took over Burnley and threw all the kids out said no Jerry Gow um, Tommy Hutchinson Kevin Reeves all these old pri- players from City came in yeah. and I was still there sort of going um, and he went right you're my new right back to me
3: Yeah,
1: and I was like brilliant and we played Hull away first game of the season and we got beat four or five nil and I came in after the, after the game and I thought I played alright all the goals went down the other side it wasn't my fault <laughs> Tommy Hutchison and Jerry Gow never raised a, a gallop in the game they were just they were all on loads of money just went whatever came in at the game and he, he went to them see that's senior pros for you you know you know what you're going to get with senior pros said, well, you've got to beat 5-0 <laughs> shut up and you'll <laughs> never play for me again and that was it I was wow. out <laughs> Burnley to Chester that's how it happened yeah Burnley free transfer to Chester John yeah. McGrath I have to tell you this story because John McGrath bless him he's not with us anymore if you remember John McGrath used to play for centre half for Newcastle lovely beautiful man they were 92nd in the league when I when I went to see him it was like mid-season and uh, he sold the club to me rightly he said don't look at the league and I went too late I had a look on the way here with <laughs> 92nd and you had to apply <laughs> for re-election then you, know, yeah. you had to actually ask the other chairman whether we could stay in the league or not he goes, we're going to finish bottom, don't worry about it, next year, though. And he signed, I think he signed 15 free transfers from other clubs. And he came in and he says, we're not having any bonuses. He said, "We're uh, so I've got the chairman to put us a big bet on at the bookies for, to go up. And he said, and then when we win all the money, I'll well, split it between all the players. And all the lads were like, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> match it, yeah, we're going to get a massive bung of hundreds of thousands of pounds at the end. We finished 91st. <laughs>
5: we went like that Boom. one position so it was a bit of a slow rise in the 80s Burnley, Chester, Berry and Stoke for was it six years 82 to 88 before you made the move to Arsenal
1: yeah I think because I was playing at Chester I was playing right back and I was I was I couldn't defend to save my life so I just bumped. you know I was I was literally a, a striker come midfield player come now I'm a full back I, I still wanted to go up front so I was an attacking full back and, and I got noticed because I was I'd score five, six, seven goals a season, mm-hmm. and uh, let hundreds in that way. But <laughs> so I right scored again, yeah. <laughs> but beat five two. <laughs> and uh, so I, I kind of caught the eye, and, and the manager of Bury at the time was Martin Dobson, who was at Burnley with me when I was there, and he, he said, "Do you want to come to Bury? Because they were in third division. I went, "Yeah, I'd love to." He said, "There was a bit of a problem though with the fee," because I was getting things in the paper, you know. The, it was, players who might get moved, and Coventry were looking at Lee Dixon, and somebody else was looking at Lee Dixon, and 40, 50, 60,000 quid, and I'd gone for a free before, so I thought it's a lot of money, and Dobbo said to me, there's a problem with the fee, I don't think we, can, we haven't got any money, so I went, how much is the fee then, said, what, 70, 80, and he went, no, it's like five grand. <laughs> I went, five grand? <laughs> Yeah. I said I'm not being funny my dad will pay that <laughs> my dad will pay it so I can go to come and play for you and he went leave it with me phoned me back two days later because we've got them down to three and a half <laughs> so I signed so everyone thinks I had two frees I didn't yeah. uh, that second move was three and a half grand <laughs> and I got in his office and he, I was on 90 quid a week at, at Chester and I got in his office and I went what are you going off?" he goes well I'll offer you 110 a week so I went 90 20 quid I was trying to work it out and I went but I want to sign in on fee. And he went, You what? I said I want to sign in on fee. And he went, picked the phone up to Terry Robinson, the chairman. I could hear him through the phone. He, was, he goes, got Lee here, he's happy with the wages. And he went, Great, great, welcome aboard. He goes, he wants to sign in on fee. And uh, I could hear Terry Robinson laughing at the he went, sign up, give him what's in the petty cash. <laughs> Dobbo went to the safe, picked the thing up, opened the safe, petty cash, it was about forty eight quid in there. <laughs> one of them I went I'll do me that's amazing <laughs> didn't tell the tax man
3: I've just told him now <laughs> Oh, I hope that comes back now to... <laughs> yeah. um, so getting to Arsenal now mm. from Stoke did you do a, was it a joint transfer from Stoke with Steve Ball?
1: no I I came in the January oh yeah uh, 88 and they were looking at the pair of us and then March something like oh. that George said to me we're looking at Boldy what do you think Boldy was just about to go to Everton were after him yeah. and that suited him really because he was a stoke lad he, you know, he wouldn't have to move that far and he goes what do you think and I said no definitely absolutely definitely sign him
5: so George Graham's Arsenal awesome, manager how did he sell sell the idea of joining <sighs> Arsenal to you was it a negotiation or-
1: no you see I, there, there's two, I was a City fan and there's two teams you look out for when you're City fan who stand on the Kippax and he was like when do we play United because we hate United and when do we play Arsenal for some reason everybody at City hated Arsenal so when I told all my mates I was going to Arsenal they were like, you can't sign for them I was like kind of yeah I've got to go you know it's funny because Mick Mills came into the dressing room one morning and he said Lee I need to see you so I went in and he goes you've got your move you've got a big move and I said who is it and he went Arsenal I went oh I just felt horrifically scared yeah because I was like this is, this is like the first division I thought it was a yeah. Way beyond me. I thought I felt comfortable at Stoke. You know, I yeah. could do it. We could play Liverpool in the FA Cup and we could get knocked out. But oh, you well done, valiant effort and all yeah. that lot. But could I play like that every week? Probably not. So I was like, all right. And he says, so we'll train and then this afternoon George wants to see you, so I'll drive you down. We're going to meet him at um, Watford Gap service station. So we get in the car, and on the way down there... So you
3: just sat in the car with your manager at this point? Yeah, Mick
1: Mills gets in the car. So driving down there, I was on £350 a week at Stoke. They'd offered me a new contract for £500 a week because they wanted to try and tie me up. I still had a year left, and they said, well, we'll give you a new contract anyway. So I was driving down there, and he went, "Right, you've made it now, mate, you've made it. And I said, well, what do I say to him? And what if he's talking about money? And he said... Well, just straight away, you'd be on a grand a week. That start your starting points a grand a week. Now that was like the holy grail, you know, yeah. a grand a week. So I get, I've got a grand a week in my head, just going round. And so we get down. I get out of the car, get in George's dameless Sovereign. Oh, so that, you don't go into the cafe. No, you just no, sit in his car. George, George goes like that. I get in the front of his car, <laughs> sitting there. Mick Mills goes for a, with Steve Burtonshaw goes for a coffee, in there. yeah, in the, and I'm sitting. I'm absolutely. Crappy myself. Yeah, George. I think he had a club blazer on and tie, immaculate white shirt. Have a magic tree hanging off the. (laughs) Yeah,
3: absolutely. I imagine he never turned. He just stared straight ahead like that. (laughs) No, to be fair, he did go on the half buttock. (laughs)
4: He sort of turned a little bit
1: like that, and then so I'm I'm sort of sitting here and I'm kind of like, he must have gone. Oh, this is. He must have had a field day with me because he was just. Verbally beating me up in the Yeah. Right? You said you made it now. This he talked at me basically, he said, you know, I'm gonna build, I'm getting rid of all the prima donnas, they're all going, I'm getting all you young, hungry kids in, you're gonna win the league, You're gonna do this, you're gonna do that. And I was I was lapping all this up, I was going brilliant, I'm gonna build a team around people like you, got David Rocastle, got Paul Davies, got Michael I've got all this talent, just signed mm-hmm. Alan Smith, Nigel Winterburn's coming. I'm like, I'm like, brilliant, yeah, great. And then he went great, great to have you aboard, and I went, um, and he started getting out of the car, and I went, so what, I, I, sorry George, I don't really know how this happens, so what, what happens now, and he goes, well, you know, we'll sign the contract, and then we'll, you know, and I said, but what, it's we'll, a contract, because we haven't really talked about money, and he went, like, he went, sort of looked at me, as if I was mad, and he went, oh, right, okay, well, what, what sort of, he goes, tell you what we'll do, uh, well, I'll give you 500 quid a week, and that was it, and I went, so, in my head, I've got a thousand a week and I'm yeah. getting 500 at Stoke. So, I went, with all due respect, George, I, I've got to bring my family down. So, I started getting a bit ballsy here. I yeah. started going, okay, let's have it. I've, you've got a reputation, but I've got my family to look after. So, I've got to sell my house in Stoke and buy a house in London. And I, you know, I don't think I can afford to do that on that. So, I so go, okay, okay, what, what do you want? How much money do you want? And I, and I just went, <laughs> I just went a thousand a week <laughs> and as I said it he went he went <laughs> and just before he got out of the car he went I didn't realise I've got your character all wrong I didn't realise you were in it for the money gets out slams the door for- walks into the service station <laughs> <laughs> oh, he walks out. he leaves you in his car <laughs> he left me left, in fucking Nicky's car <laughs> I tell you a few years earlier I would have done <laughs> and then next minute I see Mick Mills coming out with a steam coming out of his ears walking to the car like that he went get out of there we drive back to uh, Stoke and I cry all the way home and uh, go back to the wife and, and she goes, how did it go? And I said, it's all off. And she went, why? He said, because I asked for a grand a week. She went, you idiot. So, <laughs> so the deal was off. Absolutely flat out gone. So I stayed at home and the next morning I phoned Mick up and I said, Mick, let me just go down and speak to him. I'll get a train down and go and see him. And he went, I'll try and resurrect it. And he phoned George up and he said, like, get on the train now and go and see him. And I got on the train, went down to London, got a cab to the, to Highbury, and I walked into the Marble Halls. And as I walked in, the doors opened, and Herbert Chapman was looking at me as I walked yeah. up, and I just went, "I'm not leaving until I sign." Went yeah. straight to his office, and I said, "I'll sign five hundred a week." And he went, "I was always going to give you seven hundred anyway." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was straight on the dotted line, and and then that was that. That was our relationship. It was always like that with money, with him, with everybody. Yeah. He was always such a hard ball, and he was. Always like that, he'd win the league and then he in the summer you you kinda go. And he'd go, Oh, here's another one,
4: here's another <laughs> one after
1: a wage ride come in and he, and he always used to say, If you win me something, I'll give you some money. And he did, but it was yeah. only a little bit, you know, he's yeah. kinda of like he's one of them.
3: And was George Graham as as perceived in the eighty nine documentary we're about to talk mm-hmm. about, but just generally as this, this sergeant major mm-hmm. figure, was training like Yeah, absolutely drilled? Absolutely. And
1: doing the documentary and talking about it over and over again and hearing the lads tell their stories in the interviews when we set all the interviews up it's a brilliant process for me because I've got my memories of him mm. and that time but then you you hear him validated or coloured in by yeah. Nigel talking about how it was for him yeah. uh, because you, at the time you don't go oh, was it for you? Yeah. how are you, yeah. how are you doing? because you're like I just need to get through this because yeah. he's, he's standing there metaphorically with a stick and he's going do this, do that, do that, no, done it wrong, whack. Is, is and that, you say, right, I'll do it right. You know, it sounds it, it, like I've
5: been in the army. It was like. very,
1: very, very regimental, very disciplined, back for work every single day. And to a certain extent, you know, you would do back for work on your own, obviously the four of us, but away from the team with George, the four of us, no goalkeeper, on a pitch with no nets. And he'd have a ball under his arm and he'd stand on the pitch and he'd go... Right, imagine I'm the ball on the, on Saturday, and if I'm the player moving the ball, what are you gonna do? And he'd jog over here, and he'd stand, and then I'd have to close it, walk towards him, yeah. and then the other, two, the other three would go in their position, if I was doing yeah. that. And then he'd jog over here and I'd drop off and Tony would come out and it was like almost like a dance yeah. of what, walking and he'd do it for an hour and you would be like, no, I know where I'm going to be when you're standing there. How many times do I have to do it? Yeah. But honestly, on a Saturday, there's 38,000 people there and you're playing Manchester United and is on the, on the wing and I know that the ball goes to him and I close him down. I know that Tony Adams is eight yards behind me, yeah. 15 yards in. I know exactly. If he's not there, there's something, something's something gone wrong. So I, I don't need to look. And it's amazing
5: how second nature it became. How responsible was George Graham for the success he had under Arsene Wenger then? That that back four, all that training. <clears throat> Did it pay dividends in the later 90s? Massively.
1: The first thing Arsene said to not the first thing, but one of the first things he said to me when he came to the club, that he knew about the back four and the solid unit that we had. Didn't he say he was going to sell you? Yeah, he kind of because I was 32 when he came. Tony was 31, 30. Nigel was 32. Steve Bold was 33. So he kind of looked at us and went, Might get another year. So he's going to get rid of us all. And then he came to the club and he went, Well, oh, hang on a minute. Have to do anything with them? <laughs> they
3: just, they kind of just do their own thing. You're all on a pitch drilling yourselves. Yes,
4: <laughs> We've, We to, well so the got, out we the got
1: this gaffer.
3: It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry
1: about it. We'll just walk around on this pitch over here, pretend George is walking around with the ball, <laughs> we know
5: exactly what to do.
1: Yeah, that it, absolutely. And he came and he went. Wow. So if I just put Patrick Vieira and Manu Petit in front of yeah. that lot, what what could possibly go wrong? It's brilliant. People say, who's the best manager you ever played for? And I always go, best coach, George Graham, without a shadow of a doubt. Best man to play for, i.e. manager, Arsene, because he was just for me, he was just he just said to me, just go and play. I was like, what? Can I go can I do that? If you want. And then I'd look up and I'd go, Oh god, hang on. Patrick Vier, should I give it him? Or should I give it to Dennis Burke? No. <laughs> I'm gonna give it Thierry Henry.
4: <laughs> <laughs> or should I
1: Bend it that way and give it mark over mark. It's, like, it's like playing a computer game, playing for him. yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't have liked it the other way around. If Arsene had been my first manager, coach at Arsenal, I don't think I'd been half the player because George taught me everything I needed yeah. to know about being what I was, and I wasn't a fullback when I came. I was kind of an attacking fullback. And, and George just looked at him and went, "Well, you can do that. Now you've got to learn to do this." And yeah. if it had been under Arsene first, I'd have been
3: like Hector Bellerin is now, because <laughs> you, you still need to be able to yeah, stop the ball yeah. going in the net. There's a great bit in the film where George Graham is talking about his fines, yeah. and he says about <laughs> if you're late, it'll be a tenner. Yeah, um, but and if you don't pay the tenner by the end yeah. of the week, ten your wages. Ten.
1: That was the that was the one. And he'd only say that once, and then because he wanted he wanted to get the ten percent of your wages, yeah. so he goes. So is right. he getting that money? No, he he used to put it into a a, a fund. Was yeah. that fund a biscuit tin that he <laughs> kept in his desk? Pretty much. We all, he, he used to say it was like a Christmas fund, and we'd all go out and have a drink or something. But by the time Christmas came, we were so drunk we didn't want to drink anymore anyway. <laughs>
5: <laughs> So I think he gave it to charity. And you know. did, did, he, did he go, you were late this morning? Or did you have to know yourself if you were late and pay the tenner in? No, was, you, you,
1: he, he wouldn't allow you not to know that he knew you were late. So yeah, getting on the would. coach, going to an away game, you know, the coach is leaving at one o'clock. So we finished training at quarter past 12. You've got time to shower, get something to eat. Coach is leaving at one o'clock. So if you're not on the coach at two seconds to one o'clock, you go up the stairs at two seconds past one o'clock he'll be sitting there and he'll just go tenner <laughs> and you know anyway you you, you kind of yeah. go like that and you just get your tenner out and as you get on the are car you pay car, straight like away you? like, you're
5: always walking like, around like, with cash I always on you.
1: used to pay I always yeah. <laughs> it's not like now <laughs> he'd go on those car machines <laughs>
4: yeah the
1: touch and so I, I used to pay him straight away because I, I knew I'd forget and then 10% of my wages yeah. then if I was you know I was, it's more than a tenner I was on as you know I've just told you I was on 700 quid a week so it'd be 70 quid I'm like no, I mean that
3: no. could be late for 7 days for that money yeah. <laughs> but be- then
1: if you're late again it, was, it used to double all the time oh did
3: it yeah really? it's 20 and then 40 and then he just keep like going to a millionaire just keeps going up <laughs> um, with the when those scenes amazing scenes from training in the film mm. the facilities look awful yeah there's a bit where he's kind of just giving you a talk and it looks like you're just in a, like a yard. (laughs) like a garage. Look like a
1: garage. It (laughs) wasn't, like Coney was a little bit, it was, it was kind of like a prison. We didn't have any sense of community there apart from the guys who were in your dressing room because the dressing rooms were so, it was like this four tables, three tables. It was like that. So there'd be, I think there was five of you in one little thing and they had a shower in there and then, because it was, because it was a sports ground for the university. So there was loads of teams that had to be there, so the dressing rooms were really small. Yeah. So you did get a sense of who you, who which room you were in. Maybe you kind of your mates because you yeah. see them every day, and then then you meet all the other lads outside. It's like, oh hello, and then you'd all group <laughs> together, and then four
3: of us would walk off onto
4: the pitch <laughs> on our own.
5: <laughs>
3: you spotted an amazing bit of training in the film, the bit of the dribbling. That, yeah, there's a oh, the scene where George
5: Graham's getting you to just the dribbling run the ball up and down just touching it the outside and the inside of your foot like yeah. and turn it's around it's something and come back. I did when I was but, seven but like you're the, some of the best footballers in the country mm-hmm. what, what's that teaching you surely you know how
1: to do that well there's a point to that is that that was pre-season training so that would be like that was filmed probably on day four or five because the first four or five days you're in Running. Trent Park and you just run and you don't see a ball and then you come to, back to Coney and you start getting the balls out. So that's what the lads are look forward to, get the balls out. But it's a surprising—you'd be surprised—because I, I used to be surprised every year how useless you become. <laughs> in six weeks <laughs> off. Is it's it like, like
3: when <laughs> I used to go back after summer holidays,
1: I couldn't write.
3: <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, my hand would like I, like,
1: I don't remember how to write. There you go. Is it like that? So absolutely. You'd have you get the ball and you go, Whoa, and all the lads would be like, yeah, and you start dribbling it around on your own, and there'd be lads falling over. <laughs> Bit weird, and then you have a go, and you go, Whoa, what's going on? It's like you're playing with rugby balls. Yeah. Like, what's going on? So, he's just getting your touch. He's like, Yeah, yeah, nice light touches. He used to with his Scottish accent, he goes, <laughs> And he always used to have a go, as you heard in that, you listened to him, he goes, Come on, Lee. <laughs> it's always my fault. Yes. Did you like, like, did you like, like him? Hated him. Did you? Yeah, I say hate, I was scared of him. That was mm. the thing, I was, I was scared of of him as a personality. He was quite dominating and, and smart and always looked a million dollars. He, he epitomised what Arsenal was all about. And so yeah. you respected him because of his stature. But you kind of felt so below him. He, and he made you feel like you kind of want to do well for him because you didn't want to. his wrath. Very rarely would he go, you know, well done. Yeah. That's probably being a bit unfair. You didn't hear the well dones because... You were still cowering from the
3: ten minutes before that you hadn't done well done. So when you beat those game, just I think it's actually the game after the two week break because of Hillsborough yeah. when you beat Norwich five 0 Yeah, you come back into the dressing room. That must be a positive. Yeah,
1: yeah. He's 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 all well done. Yeah, everything's great. And so you're kind of on the on the crest of a wave with that. And, yeah. And but then. Typical in in football life. Three days later, you've got another game, so you don't yeah. you don't get chance to. It's like now, and you blew them. We watched we watched the what's, documentary. What's those games, it's both of those. We blew both <laughs> of those. Tony Adams' fault. But, um, yeah, Drew uh, got beat at home at Derby, and then Drew against Wimbledon, which Ooh. obviously then set
3: up what happened yeah, on the twenty fourth. So to talk about the movie, yeah, which is brilliant. You're an exec producer on that, yeah. It's exciting.
1: No idea what that was. when. So Amy Lawrence, she came. She phoned me out of the blue and said, we've got an idea, which is um, a couple of guys have come to her and said, we've got this idea for documentary because the book's been written, the movie's been made, Fever Pitch. Documentary's not, why don't we make a documentary about it? She just went, yes. And she said, yeah. right, how are we going to make this happen? They'd already been to Universal, the idea, and said, look, what do you think and they they just went it sounds like a great idea we'll commission it if you can get all the components in we'll do it so Amy because I'm good friends with Amy known her years and years man, mental gooner um, knows everything more about Arsenal than anyone I know and yeah. she just rang me up and she said, I've got a proposition for you do you want to get involved in it and I said what is it and she just went 89 and I went I mean whatever, don't care what do you want me to do <laughs> said, well you know just exec produce on it I said and what does that do what what do we do and she went I'll be honest with you we can't get the players you can yeah um, and I went oh that's easy I thought I had to do something really hard <laughs> that, that'll be easy one morning just yeah. phoning through you like yeah. so I said brilliant so we, we sat we had a meeting first phone call I made John Lukic
4: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah strangely enough now um, picked up the phone he dropped it yeah <laughs> Is Michael Thomas phoned him up and said,
3: "Yeah, you struggled without
1: him." Yeah, I said, "Michael, we're doing this documentary. I'm going to leave you alone because we've got a load of stuff to do. But you know, without you, we need to kind of nail you down, and so you, everyone's going to be in it. So you'd be kind of daft if you're not. You'd be left out type thing. And it's going to be a piece of history. It's really exciting. I knew from the minute we started pulling things together that it was going to be." an amazing journey to make it Yeah. what happens after and whether it's any good or not and I said to the director David Stewart I said well you know like they say you can't it's got the best script ever it's Mm. written with the best ending ever Mm. you can't mess that up and he looked at me and he went oh we could
4: (laughs) really (laughs) it up I went
3: could we? I watched it with my girlfriend who didn't know how I wish I hadn't told her how it was going to end although it would have been an idiot that sits there and doesn't think Arsenal are going to win. <laughs> <But> like, <Yeah. laughs> it's like um, Frank Skinner told me that he watched Senna with his girlfriend. Right. And he realised halfway through she didn't know how it ended. Oh, right. And he said it was like one of the most bizarre experiences. Yeah. But watching that, like the story of it with mm. someone that didn't know any of it, wow. it's an amazing kind of. That's mm. probably unique. I oh, know there, there'll be other people who
5: didn't know who've been yeah. forced to watch it. Yeah, by my, their yeah my girlfriend, my it. girlfriend watched it as well. She was going, "They win two nil, right?" They could win <laughs> <laughs> so just, just, watch. <laughs> Too many clues. You gave away the plot twist there. <laughs> yeah.
3: Should have interviewed some Liverpool players as a twist. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I think the be- the beauty. I think the real beauty, and obviously I'm biased because I I helped mm. do something on it. I think the beauty of it is the fact that you do know how it ends and yet this 45 minutes to go you're still going oh, and that's the that's how that's why it's I was brilliant. tense watching yeah and yeah. and the sequence at the end where You know this amazing ball from Dixon (laughs) doesn't go in the stand like it normally does it went to its target and then from that moment from John throwing it out to me to the ball going in the back of the net and the end of the sequence and
3: us winning it they've done a brilliant job as someone who wanted Liverpool to win I'd say they didn't make enough of the deflection (laughs) lucky deflection (laughs) that's the real story my dad was a Liverpool fan Uh, and I was six, so I, I was a Plymouth fan because I started going in 1991. But I, for those couple of years, I was a Liverpool fan. Right. And I cried, did you? So I hope you can deal with that.
1: <laughs> well, I, if it's any consolation to you, I cried on the pitch when we scored and, and at the end of the game. Well, so we We both We yeah. both 2 0.
0: <laughs> Adams is after his man, but Barnes will not be denied. Yes, he will by Richardson, moment ago, down and injured. Arsenal come streaming forward now and surely what will be their last attack. A good ball by Dixon, finding Smith but Thomas, charging through the midfield! Thomas, it's up for grabs now! Thomas! Right at the end! An unbelievable climax to the league season. Well into injury time, the Liverpool players are down absolutely abject Aldridge is down, Barnes is down, Delglish just stands there. Nichols on his knees, McMahon's on his knees. Suddenly, it was Michael Thomas bursting through. The bounce fell his way. He flips it wide of Grobbelaar. And we have the most dramatic finish, maybe, in the history of the Football League. The top two, challenging on the night and the title possibly decided in the last minute
5: of the whole season. We wanted to talk to you about, like... So, 89, obviously, as a a subject matter, there's a school of thought that thinks that was one of the reasons the football fundamentally changed, along with Fever Pitch, Gazeret Italia 19. The football rights, I think, after 89 were sold for, like, 1,800% more than they'd been the previous because of the, you know, rumours, because of the drama. How big an impact do you think that had on English football changing? Well, I think...
1: When we sat down and started talking about doing it, the original title when we first started was... was '88. Yeah, 88. Good, but it's not right. (laughs) It didn't feel right. It was the goal that changed everything. So we were going to call it the goal that changed everything for that. So because it did, you know, for all the reasons you just said, it seemed to be the time where everything stood still and went, you know what, we've got to do this differently. Because of Hillsborough, Hillsborough was a massive part of of that season, and we had huge discussions on how we how we fit it in. And how, mm. and quite rightly, it it had to be told, but it had to be told in a way that that not only didn't distract from the actual story, mm. uh, but it also was sympathetic to everything yeah. and and so that was a really difficult bit. And I, and I, again, was it its praises. being interviewed about, yeah. It? Massively. I mean, you saw on the yeah. you, know, you Merce, saw Mercer Merce really struggles.
5: Yeah, they? where and, were you? Nigel.
1: Were you playing that day? Yeah, we were at Newcastle at home, but the game finished, and we know we could hear things being said, and there was always oh, there's been some trouble. So when you
3: came off half time you didn't kind of?
1: No, it kind of. We heard bits, but mm. then at the end of the game, it was like you no, know, something really bad happened, and and it was it was it was really weird that the, the whole season was weird because of yeah. We did, and I, I tell a story, and I don't know if I explained it well enough on the documentary, because, but it was handing the flowers over in uh, yeah, yeah before the kickoff, and it was there was a lady in the in the cop, and and I gave the flowers to her, and she looked at me, and she kind of just the the look of her eyes when she she accepted him was, was acceptance of it's okay now. She was giving me permission to play, so mm. I felt like that, that yeah. up until that point. I didn't feel as if it was almost right that we were going to go against well, Liverpool and take the league mm. off them. And then she, by banding those flowers over and her looking at me, it was kind of like, "It's all right. This is football now. Thank yeah. you. It's okay." And I just yeah. went right, and I get get quite emotional yeah. thinking about it because it was
3: it was a, it was a hugely emotional season. That was. Well, yeah. Did you think when you're going on the bus up and stuff, mm. which will come to the fact that you travelled on the day, yeah, like? Was Hillsborough in your mind?
4: Was no, there,
1: there was, and when you knew it was Liverpool, you didn't. It was in the mind, but it was right back here somewhere in the mm. back of your head because you kind of knew. And I, I think if we hadn't have won the game, or we'd have lost, well, you know, we, if we'd have lost the league that night, I was, I was trying to think how we would feel afterwards. I think we'd kind of sort of go well, you know, it was meant to the, be. there bit one of acceptance. Their, yeah, yeah. A bit of acceptance were, of. The <coughs> Liverpool fans them. were really good when you oh, won yeah. there. They all stayed and. Watched this get the trophy. It was it was an amazing and I and I'll never forget. I'll never forget that feeling of uh, there's a there's a there's a bit of the footage when the final whistle goes. You see David O'Leary going to try and pick up uh, Aldrich and the, there's there's a bit of that going on mm. and the players just made wanted to make sure that we we celebrated respectfully without yeah. Yeah. without shoving it in their faces and going here. Yeah, well, you know we've just won. Da-da-da. So yeah. there was a. I think that comes across in the documentary. Yeah, George
5: well. Graham actually says to everyone, "Calm down!" Yeah. Like you just won the league, and he's just going, "Calm down, yeah, calm down." The, was that part
1: of it? Was absolutely. That... I, I believe that 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 was why George was doing that. Because at the time, I, when I see the my fuchies, I'm and like, what's he doing? He doesn't really know what to do.
3: Mm. Yeah.
1: And because of the the Hillsborough thing in the background.
3: Yeah, yeah. You turn up in the tunnel with the flowers. Mm. Do, is there any kind of dialogue with the Liverpool players or any kind of?
1: Can't remember. I don't remember, it's funny because mm. I don't remember, I remember lots of tunnels. <laughs> I remember lots of them. And I remember, I remember lots of stuff going on. Were you there the in...
3: tunnels? Ever? No,
1: I had just retired. Oh. But I was in lots of tunnels with Ian Wright, which was special what place your to be. What top
3: three tunnels? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the, the top three tunnels, the best one ever was at Old Trafford. Oh, it's just hilarious. The pizza no, he's no, better than that. He's loads better than that. It was Wrighty and Steve Bruce. Wrighty had been just flagged off his detective
0: novels. <laughs> yeah.
1: Wrighty was the the most horriblest, uh, annoying player you could ever play against. And he was like that when he was at Palace. And but when he came to Arsenal, it was great to have him because he just used to really wind everybody up. And and he he wound Steve Bruce up in this Old Trafford game so much that he just went. I'm just going to knock you out half time. <laughs> Right, he went, right, let's have it then. So he used to have this little saying, righty, that if there was any trouble going on, if he got himself in trouble, which he did on a regular basis, yeah. he'd want he want a bit of help. So John Artson was his minder basically. <laughs> <laughs> so if John was playing, he the, his cue that he might be getting a duffed up at half time was uh, John, put the kettle on at half time. So that was the thing, put the kettle yeah. on. So I don't think I don't think John was playing in that in that particular game. So he didn't do the Put the kettle on, one. He just ran down the tunnel, and Steve Bruce went after him. And I, I, could, I remember, righty, he shouting, going like this to Brucey: Bru- "Brucey, come on, come on, calm down. Let, let's just everything calm down." And Bruce come in, and he goes, "All right." And then righty went bang <laughs> <laughs> threw this little right up on him, and then dashed off into the dressing room. Was, I was just, I couldn't stop laughing. I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating violence, no. Um, but that was typical, righty. Like, calm yeah. up Brucey. And I think Brucey said something like is that your best shot and right he went get, get yourself in the dressing room have a look at your eye when you get in there he's come out for the second half he was like he chased him around the pitch for the, like, the second half trying to get hold of him
2: <laughs> amazing did you play in the game with the big, the big brawl does that Manchester United off yeah.
1: yeah it was a 21 man brawl was it
2: Seaman was the only
1: guy that no was it was me it was yes. you. <laughs> if you look at the footage I was like I'm always last there just <laughs> checking it out coming in from the outside just, <laughs> come on lads <laughs> <laughs> um, we got dot two points for that I can't yeah. believe so it so what, what was it over well it was, it was a bit of lingering stuff with McLare and Nigel Winterburn and there was a few bits and bobs and then Nigel went down and uh, on the floor, and I think McClare or somebody was started kicking him. So, Anders Limpar came in with a, without a shadow of a doubt the best left hook I've ever seen in my life. It um, <laughs> was just it carried on from stuff, and it, it, yeah. it for some reason sometimes it just blows up like that. I don't understand why they got dot one point though. Was that because <laughs> you like boxed <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it was Irwin, wasn't it? Who was
5: lucky? That was totally unnecessary. Well, Maybe that's carrying sympathy too far from the referee. And look what's happened as a result of it. Look at this. This is disgraceful. It's a free-for-all. And... How will the referee be able to sort it all out? Alec Ferguson has had to come from the bench to try and intervene. To restore... Some
3: order. Quick, couple of questions on Anders Limpar. Yes. Have you ever been to his uh, bar, the Anders Limp Bar in
5: <laughs> Stockholm, that he opened? Do you aware of this? No, I didn't know about that. <clears> Secondly, uh, have you got this? Yes, yes. I've got this. So we've got an email from a, a Swedish listener called Oscar Stenman. If you Go haven't on. heard this, this will blow right. your mind. So Anders Limp apparently was, and in, this is a hundred percent true. He was on a, a ni- in 1996. He was on a Swedish hidden camera show called Blastningen. And In the show, Anders Limp was fooled to believe that he had travelled two years forward in time. <laughs> The setup was that Limpar got on a small domestic flight to Stockholm, and with him on the plane were two scientists who start talking about their research on time travel. One pulls out a time travel machine, attempts to demonstrate it, and at this point, the pilot performs a sharp dive to simulate time travel. Fighter jets then accompany the plane to the airport in Stockholm, where he's greeted by a welcome ceremony. Limpar is then led to believe that he has, in fact, travelled two years forward in time, and among other things, he's told that Norway won the World Cup in France in 98. They age his wife, that he's had a little puppy at the time, and when he gets erect, it's like a full size no. version of the dog uh, it was the most expensive prank in the history of the TV show and, it, and Limpar truly believed he'd travelled uh, forward two I years I want ago.
1: that to happen to me <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's such a good prank isn't it
5: was he got a ball Limpar? Could you, could you see that in oh. midford?
3: no he... he's not the kind of person who'd go I'll tell you he'd fall for a time travelling prank <laughs> <laughs> no Two other amazing details of the film. Yeah. One is the, the decision to travel on the bus on the day out. <laughs> yeah. That's. Yeah, it's just surpri- a mind-blowing decision. Really
1: surprised isn't it? us a little bit. Um, but when we said that nothing really surprised me, George, because he just right we're traveling the day of the game. We're just not going up to Liverpool and yeah. sitting in the hotel for like twenty-four hours and listening to all the scousers up there tell us we're going to get hammered. So, so, just so he explained the decision. It wasn't like yeah, he just really. yeah. The only the only thing he overlooked was the fact that he'd only booked one coach. And <laughs> as you can imagine, Tom, yeah. Dick, and Harry yeah. <laughs> all wanted to go to that game. So there was the players didn't have seats on the coach. When we got on the coach at Coney after training, couldn't get on the coach. There was a queue to get on the coach. So like who are all these people? All the directors are coming up, and did it. there was directors there that. had passed away about 15 <laughs> years earlier and they were on the coach and it was like we, so we were all sitting at the back sort of literally half a seat each at the back of the coach it was it was astonishing and, and what we, was the atmosphere like on the coach tense or no because we were kind of like in all honesty there was no pressure on us because the pressure had gone the pressure was against Derby at home yeah and then Wimbledon at home and we blew it. So the, we kind of like, well, we're not going to win it because we've just blown them two games. Yeah. So it's kind of like we will just go up and see what happens. So it was he wasn't nervous at all. Not and there's no nerves going on whatsoever. It was kind of like playing cards at the back and we we're just hanging out and you know what we Let's we we you know joking like let's keep it under five, eh? <laughs> but really going, yeah, let's keep it under five. <laughs>
5: so you're in the game. You're up against John Barnes, who's in a decent bit of form at the yeah. time. He, and you've got one of the toughest jobs at our whole team.
1: Well, I, I have to say that when I look at what we had to do that night, and most times we played Liverpool, he was their best player, and he was oh, a nightmare to play against because he was really good, <laughs> and he was clever. He was he was a, he was a really clever because some. Quite it's a lot, not enough punditry that just says he was really good. He was really good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, don't, I think you're right. Yeah. I'm going to use that one next week. Yeah. <laughs> but he, um, Barnsey. Giggs, he was another one. People like that, can't take your eye off it for one minute because he was really clever. He w- he was always a ple- the type of player who'd go, right, playing against Lee Dixon. What doesn't he like? Where doesn't he like going? So he would never stand on the wing. He would just go and stand in field 10 yards off me. And it was like, oh, a really awkward position for a fullback to go. Then when
5: he got the ball, he had a bit of, sp-
1: boom, he would turn. Yeah. and He was a brilliant
5: dribbler. And In the game itself, like, there's a lot of footage of John Barnes in that game. And he's, he's getting like, fouled by everyone he's getting turned over and he, there's a scene where he stands up he's fuming you can see the anger on his face was that like I wondered if that was a tactic were you, were you trying to wind him up that oh, entire absolutely yeah
1: <laughs> yeah my job my,
5: that's why we played
1: the system we did and we played three at the back and pushed me and Nigel on to Houghton and Barnes because they were like their playmakers who got the ball into the front and then got the crosses in and all of that and it was like you know George just said you know Matt, you were man to man marking John Barnes I don't want you to go forward. I don't want you to do anything. Just go and mark him. Like, how, what sort of marks would you like me to put on him? <laughs>
4: <laughs> my
3: favourite detail of the whole documentary is where
5: you went when you got back to London. Yeah. Winner's Bar.
3: Yes. There's that a is astonishing. I think it's well, my
5: favourite scene in the documentary is you getting off the bus. Yeah. And t- I think Tony Adams is like second or third or first off and uh, he's got his shirt undone but the blazers on, he's got the tie hanging up. and yeah, there's all of you look absolutely well, sozzled already. Like, do you I'm remember anything of that
3: journey back to London?
1: Well, the funny thing about that story is, or that occasion was, if you noticed players getting off the bus, there was only one player who didn't get off the bus, and that was me. Oh, really? Because I didn't go on the night out.
3: What? So we've got a whole line of questioning about winners. <laughs> I can't believe
5: it. pages, man. It's great.
3: So
1: will fill, I will fill those
3: gaps in well, that you've now got with the story of why I didn't go. Okay. So, for the listeners, winners seemed sorry. From the documentary yeah. to be like basically a local pub with a couple of pool tables in hybrid. Yeah, it was like a late drinking pub type yeah.
1: establishment that couple of the lads knew about and they'd phoned a few places up and they said well you know we're coming back to London and and so, I don't know I think it might have been Quinny or Mercer, or some phone winners and knew somebody there some of the fans were going back there said yeah we'll just stay open until you get there and then the scenes of what you're talking it's like about it's like a lock-in with the locals basically. and they're all there waiting for the lads to come back on the coach who were obviously not sitting there drinking Perrier water on the coach <laughs> so they're absolutely larruped by the time they get there but I so Leading up to the game, my uncle moved to Australia when I was six months old, hadn't been back to England, and I'm now 26 or whatever, he's playing in that game, and the week before he's coming to England, so my mum's doing a surprise leaving due for him after the game, Yeah. so the day before she's gone, oh don't forget your uncle's party, and I've gone, we're we'll playing Liverpool tomorrow night mum, yeah but then it's Friday night so he could come and stay the weekend, oh. and then he's leaving on the Sunday morning. And then I, in my head, I just went, "Well, we'll probably get beat anyway." So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fine, Mum. Yeah, no problem. So I just went, "Yeah." So obviously after the game, I'm in the dressing room after the game, and I'm going, "My brother's waiting for me outside in the car." Oh my So I've God. gone, "Oh, hang on a minute." And then Stuart Euston or whoever, somebody's in charge, goes, "Yeah, Lee, you're going straight back to uh, to your mum's, aren't you?" Everyone else in the car, and I'm going, "I'm like this." Going, oh, so I drank. A whole bottle of champagne by then, and I'm thinking, is it worth risk? I've got to go back, this will never happen again. Get on the coach, my mum will forgive me for some unknown reason. I cannot to this day understand why waving the lads off like that. Oh, no, down the oh, yes. I did, that's just
5: such a good
1: son. <laughs> <laughs> but what a rubbish footballer, Something like that, waving them off, and they go oh, off into the distance. No. and I go, I get into the, I get into the, um, into my brother's car, and I'm kind of like. A bit drunk, so I'm kind yeah. of like, not. it's not really hitting yet. We go driving through Liverpool. So we're about five minutes into the journey, and I'm lit, I've am i had nothing to eat since pre-match me. I'm starving hungry. Just had a load of champagne. So I said, right, let's. we need some fish and chips on the way home. So my brother goes, fish and chip shot, pulls in, jump out of the car, go running into this chip shot. As I sling open the door, I realise I've got my Arsenal blazer on and tie, sort of round here in Liverpool in the fish chip shop and I go four fish and chips mate and I go in like this and I've gone and now I'm aware of where I am and what I've just done and I've literally gone oh that's it I'm just going to die <laughs> it's the only time I'm going to win the league and I'm now going to die and then I look up at the bloke and the bloke goes behind the jump t- he looks at me and he goes you can have extra chips now, like we're all Evertonians <laughs> We had a party in the chip shop. We were all jumping up and down
4: going,
1: Bleh! so we had a massive party in the chip shop. i come out with all these chips and get in and go to my mum and dad's. Amazing. God. Do you regret that? Oh, massively. <laughs>
3: I didn't really like my uncle that much. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, now, quickly on the fever pitch, you would have been at Arsenal when that came out. Did yeah. you all read it? Did you... Er... Uh, don't know I read it
1: I don't know whether did it we change talked... your kind of perception of the fans it did I, I knew a lot of really die hard Arsenal fans so they kind mm. of they, they had their own fever pitch stories you must be mentioned in the book aren't you yeah there's there's quite a few mentions of us you know the back four and standing up and, you know and obviously the scene where he's trying to teach the lads
5: on the pitch did you did you talk about the book in the dressing room Are you were talking about it not really yeah. there's not no. a dressing room book club <laughs> there should be. Merce comes in with spot the dog. <laughs> it's gripping, you won't believe where he ends up under the Christmas tree. Where's Wally? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, um, England.
3: Yeah. We I mean we focused on eighty nine. Let's let's bosh through the rest of your career. England. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, I won't take long. You played in the game Gaza played in, where basically Gaza made his name and got. Yeah. One.
1: I, I actually should have won Man of the Match that night, but he nicked it off me. Oh, really? That's my debut. Yeah, Played brilliant. I was, I was so pleased with my debut. So,
3: did you think you were going to go to Italian? No,
1: because funny enough, um, Gary Stevens got injured mm. in the warm-up games, mm. and I got called up. Bobby Robson called me up, and he he basically said to me, which is, I think he's doing it for the right reason because he didn't mm. want me to build my hopes up. Yeah. But he says Gary Stevens got a knock, and he just come. I'm going to give you a chance coming in, but you're not going to the World Cup. That was kind of like.
5: <laughs> so, like, that's that's man motivation for you. Yeah, and
1: I went, oh right, both great. Thanks for my debut. So I was, I was a late call up. Got to Burnham Beaches. All the lads were there again, going through that. Absolutely, what am I doing here? I can't play for England. You know, it's really. I think that's been my major motivation in my career is the fact that I never thought. I thought it was somebody who's just going to come up and go on my shoulder and go. Only kidding, come on. <laughs> it's one of them. And every yeah. time I got to a place where no one tapped me on the shoulder and I thought, all right, I'll just do it until somebody taps me on the shoulder. But I always thought it was coming. And with England, it was like oh, burning beaches. All the lads were in the restaurant having their food and I was late because they only just called me up. So I got to the hotel and I was like, oh God, I really don't want to walk in this room now because they're all going to go, who's that? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and which didn't help because I got to the, the, um, the lift when I was your room two, Mr. Dixon, right, thanks. I got in the lift, pressed the lift and Bobby Robson was coming out the the lift as I went in, so and he just went, Welcome aboard, Kerry. I swear <laughs> to God Shut me on and I just swear like that. <laughs> went in and I, and I didn't know Bobby
5: Robson then and, I kn- and he always had a, <laughs> he, he didn't know you no yeah. <laughs> the weird quirk of that team of 1989 was like it was, it was almost entirely English but none of you went to Italian 19 for England why didn't he like it was a year almost a year until you made your debut yeah. so why Why didn't like these English players get called up for, for Arsenal yeah. did Bobby just have his team in his mind
1: they were pretty established senior pros in that England you know you look at yeah. you know, Brian Robson Terry Butcher Peter Schill and all those kind of guys. Yeah. So it was quite an established unit. Gary Stevens had been playing for quite a long
3: time, and so they were. It was hard to break into that. You then made qu- most of your appearances almost under Graham Taylor.
4: Yeah.
3: When that documentary is being made. Yeah. How much is that visible to the players? Are you? Is anyone going? This is insane. They're filming.
1: No, but we didn't know. You don't yeah. really know that they're there, to be honest with you. Yeah. But you don't, and also you don't. When you watch the documentary after and you see the ludicrous situations that are, that appear in it, and you go, yeah. but when you are in it, you don't notice them because you are kind of in it and you are doing yeah. your stuff. And when we're on the pitch, we don't see Phil Neal talking to <laughs> <Peter> Graham <laughs> like like yeah. that because you are on the pitch. What was Phil Neal like? He's a lovely bloke. Yeah. He really is a lovely bloke. But in that work situation, he was a coach that that was that was there to be uh, manipulated in in as much as. He was kind of that foil between the manager and the coach, yeah. who you could kind of the players could kind of go. We could get him to do what we wanted to do, and and I think Graham liked that because it was we felt as if we had a bit of power. Yeah, I'm not saying he's a yes man. It was just the, the he didn't. I mean, I'm sure he looked at that and goes, oh, I've not come out of that looking
5: great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one, one of the international career defining moments was the fact you miss Euro '92 due to an injury you suffered at home. Yes, right.
1: um, we had training camp and then we were released and we were going to Iceland or Finland or somewhere to play a couple of games and all this lot and then we had three days off and uh, so I thought I was I was prided myself on my fitness and that was part of my game being able to run all day long and you know do all that so I thought three days off kind of got to do something so I went for a a run with my dog through the woods and uh, I just jumped over a log and uh, tripped, fell on it banged my knee on it, I went, oh that hurt a bit, and then two days later, I limp into the England uh, oh. training centre with me mean, I couldn't walk, Gary Lewin who's the Arsenal mm. physio and also England physio, I'd already phoned him up, said I've hurt my knee, and he went, I'll be alright, it's probably just a bit of swelling, and I got got like septicemia under the kneecap, Oh, and it got infected, and he, and there was a practice match on that first day, and <laughs> And they were going to Finland or something the next day, and <clears throat> Graham Taylor said, "You've got to play in the game, or I can't take you." And I said, "Can't take me where?" And he goes, "Can't take you to the championships because I can't have you. You know, it might not. The doctors have said it might take two weeks, and what am I going to do? I need somebody to play." And I was like, "So I've got to play today." I literally could not. I went, "Right then, let's get the kit on." I was like, oh, "I'm good. Gary went, "You can't. Look, you can't even get off the bed." I went, "Well, you just give me an ultimatum that I I have to try and do, otherwise." Yeah. Anyway, I, I couldn't get off the bed and oh. I just put
3: my kit on and went home. That's and they was mean, it. They had no right backs at Euro 92. David Batty played one game, didn't he? Did he Gary Pallister he fill got, in at right yeah, like Keith Curl maybe for one of the games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how bizarre. <laughs> bloody lot. It's not that you missed <laughs> <the> a classic tournament. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly.
5: I, was, I was sitting at home with a beer going, thank yeah. God yeah. I didn't go on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, And then obviously, you know, the end of the Taylor, but then you didn't play for England for five years until, um, for almost five years, until Howard Wilkinson picked up the phone Yeah, that was
1: my biggest, it's not a regret because I didn't have anything to do with it. I was playing all right, the back four was playing really well. Terry Venables took over and George was big mates with Terry. And uh, he went, Oh, the squad's out, his first squad's out tomorrow. And he goes, How do you feel? I said, Well, I should get an H. And he went, Yeah, I think Terry likes you. I think you'd be all right. I said, I'd love to play under him as well because he's a proper coach. if squad came out I wasn't in it and I was like I was absolutely devastated and I said to George can you just ring him up and ask him why I'm not in and so he rang me because he was mates and he said just wanted to have a look at things in the first squad he knows what I can do just wanted yeah. to have a look look round at new players and see what and that was it fight I didn't play again and then I was sitting at home and the phone went and my son picked the phone up and he went alright oh, yeah okay then dad and I said who is it and I was doing something and he goes it's uh, Howard Wilkinson I said tell him to tell, <laughs> tell him to uh, go away because I thought it was one of my mates yeah and he went um, my dad's busy and he went no tell him it's Howard Wilkinson so I was it's Howard Wilkinson It wasn't he was his secretary so I of the phone and I went hello and he went hello it's Michelle who's the sister uh, looks after the England manager she went I said oh, hi Michelle what, she said Howard's called you up I went what does he know I'm 52
4: <laughs>
1: mad and he went yeah he wants to put the back four in and all that lot so as it happens Stuart Pearce played left back but it was Stuart Tony um, Martin Keown and me so it was the and Nigel real went,
3: back four for the Nigel, future that isn't it
1: <laughs> Nigel was on the bench otherwise we'd have for the first time we would have got the oh, back wow. four in Dave Seaman was in goal Anyway, seventy two minutes in we were two nil down and I headed the back of Duggery's head, knocked myself out, woke up in the dressing room with my dad standing over me.
3: <laughs> I didn't even know he was at the game
1: <laughs> Where'd you, where, where you get your ticket from? <laughs>
3: yeah. Um some great Arsenal moments we have to talk about. The mural. Yeah. That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, that was really weird, but it it,
1: it almost I think I wasn't playing particularly well at the time, so I was quite happy for the mural because I didn't get any stick off the fence. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was weird. It was kind of once you played in front of it a few times, you kind of got used to it. And then the yeah. the, the, the away team used to come and go. It's really weird. So it, so it, I kind of kind of worked, I think, for our yeah. advantage.
5: Um, Ninety one. You scored possibly the most amazing own goal in history against Coventry. Yes. Good, good 30 yards out you turn around straight in the top bin you, you, you're telling me as if I don't know what happened don't I was you hoping think, to jog your memory don't you
1: think I wake up every morning
4: and go did I really do that
3: at what
1: point did, could you find that funny like no I didn't I, I really, no, George Graham was managing imagine what that was like at half time because it was one minute Eleven seconds into the game. Oh, really? Straight from the kick off, they got the ball. Da, da da Ball over the top. I get it. Dave's there, and I sort of check on my right. So, so to go to go away because I know the centre forward mm. will then lose interest and start running up the pitch. And then I will just dink it back to him. And as soon as I sort of did the first bit and I put my foot down, and we played with Adidas uh, Tango in those days, that was the ball's fault. I'm
3: just
4: because
1: <laughs> <laughs> some teams play with miters, some play played with Addy this wasn't a uniform ball though, oh, right. and we play with a tango and a tango is particularly pingy it's a little bit lighter and you can get a really yeah. good strike and as soon as I went like, as soon as I hit it I kind of went "Oh, I might have hit that a bit hard and I, looked, <laughs> and I looked and I saw where Dave went as soon as I looked where Dave went it's in I knew he was in,
3: <laughs> so did Ronaldinho, yeah. so did Naeem.
1: <laughs> so I just started the trend.
3: That yeah. <laughs> Naeem, you were there on the pitch for Naeem, presumably. No. Oh, were you not?
1: Oh, yeah, I was. Sorry, I thought you meant uh, Ronaldinho. <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah, because that one, I it was going to penalties, and we literally had 30 seconds to go, and I was, and I was first penalty taker, and I used to take the penalties there, and I was like, okay, right. So I'm, I'm kind of looking down the pitch at the keeper going, I'd already practised him all week. I knew where I was going to go. I was going to go down keeper's left, a little low one down there. So I was like, "Yes, yeah, right. yeah, he's had a, quite a good game, but he won't save this. And I, was, and I saw Naeem and I sort of looked because he's miles away from me. And I sort of looked and he, as he's, I was thinking, what's he doing? And I saw him strike it. And again, I just went like that to Dave. I just looked at Dave and went, oh, he's in. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Suddenly, on...
1: On my honour I knew it was in. Oh. I just went like that. Don't need a penalty now. <laughs> Straight after the game, come off the come off the pitch and walking down the tunnel all disappointed because we've lost. the tiny little UEFA bloke with a with a badge on like that comes up to me and he goes, Number two. And I went, Yeah? And he goes, Drug test. And I went <laughs> I told him that I wasn't coming for the drug test. I said, You've got no chance of getting me in there for a drug test. did you see see what happened out there? <laughs> And he went, no, you got. And he grabbed hold of my shirt, and he because they're, they're not allowed to let you out of the sight once they've spotted. Mm. So he goes, number two, Arsenal, number two, Arsenal. And he kept holding me, so I was fighting with this bloke. I was going, <laughs> I'm going in the dressing room. Gary Lewin came out, and he went, Lee, you've got to go in. I said, I'm not going. He goes, you have to go in. So I was furious. So I go in the door, kick the door open, walk into this this drug room, and he's got a piece of paper in his hand, and he's got Arsenal number two, and then he's got Zara uh, Naeem number 11. <laughs> I go in this room and he's sitting there with a bottle of champagne. And <laughs> I walk in, I went, Oh, and I, sp- I go out like of the door, shut the door behind me, and I go, Did you mean that? And he went, no 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 and then luckily
5: the, the wafer bloke came in and separated me from beating him into his life
4: um,
5: a quick one on Camp, signed in 1995 rubbish allegedly he was like was he truly like one of the English lads he was just sat mm. down the back of the coach like he just slotted right and Not, he wasn't like a foreign yeah.
1: player no he, was, he wanted to be one of the lads because we used to sit English lads at the back the French lads sat in the middle and the staff sat at the front and it was like, we all used to take the mickey out of French lives, they take the mickey, and then there'd be a, a row of seats that weren't taken, sort of like the border. <laughs> the, well, channel. Yeah. the channel. The <laughs> channel. Very good. <laughs> See what you did there. <laughs> and then he used to sit at the back with the lads with the English lads and we used to go yeah Dennis is English
5: and Arsene Wenger we, heard, we mentioned earlier that you know, George Graham was notoriously tight is it true you went, you went into a contract negotiation with Arsene Wenger after George Graham years and he couldn't believe that you know you, how little you were earning yeah. compared to like the modern footballer and he was like I'm sorry we're going to sort this yeah, out yeah he apologised for, for me and Nigel especially me and
1: Nigel because the lads all the wages when um, Bruce Riott was manager and Dennis came all the, there was a couple of lads on parity contracts so they they Righty was one, I think, and Dave Seam was another. So as soon as Dennis came in, the wages went Tew! they all got the same money. So Did you know this has happened? At the time we can kind of, well, you, they were a bit miserable one week and then <laughs> next week they went, We're in like, a top like, I and tails it, oh, <laughs> long, I see what's going on like, like me and Nigel were going, I see what's going on here and then Tony Tony, Righty. Um, Dave Seaman all got these massive contracts comparatively massive yeah. contracts not like today but still lots more money than me and Nigel were on them so then Ars- then when Arsene came he kind of looked at the co- looked all the contracts and got me and Nigel in He said I want to see you after training and Nigel went in first and came out he was like that oh, I said, well, what is it he goes I'll let him tell you I'm going in he went oh I just looked at your contract this is my French accent <laughs> it's, 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 it's embarrassing and I went tell him me <laughs> and uh, he said yeah we'll just you know we'll rip him up now and basically doubled our money overnight you know he was just right right you signed 4, this Fourteen hundred quid yeah, <laughs> yeah I was on yeah 700 quid for <laughs> 10 years <laughs> so yeah he, fair play to him and um, yeah, we got new contracts. Oh wow!
5: And ninety nine semi final FA Cup against United at Villa Park. Seventy minutes, you've got Jesper Blomqvist in your pocket. You're thinking this is in the bag. <laughs> On no, comes Ryan Giggs.
1: That's not how, well. It, that's what happened, but the, how it happened in the dressing room. We're in the dressing room beforehand, and the Pat Rice come in with the team sheets. It was all written, handwritten. So he come in like this, and he went. Giggs, he's not playing. And all the lads went, You lucky, lucky man. (laughs) And I was going, Who's playing? He went, Blonquist. And I went, All right. And straight away, I just went, Exactly what you did. I went, 75, 80 minutes. Blonquist, tired, really tired. Probably playing quite well, but I'll be really tired. On comes (laughs) Ryan (laughs) Giggs. I'd like to play against him for minute one, not minute 89 onwards and they were all like "Oh, we will be all over by then and I've been laughing a joke sure enough I saw I looked at the bench at one point I saw Giggsie going like this with his tracksuit top
4: <laughs> <laughs> I just went off oh. <laughs> there's
3: one question we always ask at the end oh, it's very simple yeah. usually uh, we'd do it with 1990 would you go back to the 1st of January 1990 and relive it all again Well, for you we'll make an exception would you travel back to the 1st of January 1989 and relive it all again
1: absolutely and I I would definitely go to Winners (laughs) (laughs) wonderful Um, do you want to say how people it's out on DVD yeah well it is it's available on download 89 and available on Blu-ray and DVD do you you know
3: not to say that you've already got we got sent a link to watch it yeah. But because I'm not techy enough to connect my computer to the TV, I had to buy it off Amazon as well. So, <laughs> you've you made go. £4.50 out of me. It's
1: on Netflix in July in uh, in America. They,
3: they won't know how it ends. No, they won't, will they? There's that guy from NBC. <laughs> yeah. What's he doing playing football? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't talk as if he knows anything
4: about <laughs> the game.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Lou okay. Dixon, thank you very much. My pleasure. Loved it. Yes.
5: Renato. Going across with Henri.
0: Oh, it's Lee Dixon! Where did he come from?
5: That was
3: Lee Dixon. I absolutely love Lee Dixon. Lovely man. Lovely bloke. Um, I think when he arrived, he wasn't sure. Yeah. By the end, he was absolutely loving it. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, uh, that might not come across in the edit. Michael
5: might have... Uh, Cut out the first 10 minutes where Chris referred to as Nigel Winterburn
3: throughout by mistake. (laughs) that didn't happen.
5: Okay, last week we asked you to leave a review on our iTunes that was in the style of a haiku and somehow referenced 90s football. We said that the best one this week would win a Graham Says Hit Les mug. Official QK merchandise. It's time for Review Haiku. It's Review Haiku. 90s football for you uh, uh, uh. What you got for us, Chris? Right, first one is from Scott Tibb, 84. And it goes like this: fans 8 Star Man. A cold Wednesday at Palace, man becomes Ninja King Eric. Doesn't work, does it? Man becomes Ninja King Eric. This this all over the place. It's it's 577. Um We've also had this one. From this one is absolutely my favourite. This it's got a title. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. This is going to win. It's by Rube Cooler, and the title is "Betty's Latin Textbook." <laughs> Jamie had a test. He cheated, but not the best. Leo Fortune West. <laughs> that's five seven five. It's five seven five. That's, it's that's a great reference winner. to Leo Fortune West. <laughs> It's, Rude, it's just great. It's Rude, just great. Rube Cooler. you've won a Graham yeah, Says Mug. Oh, and, man.
3: Not you. enough of that in the world, is there? If you want to leave a haiku, then please do it on iTunes. If you want to get in touch about anything, any of the issues raised in this episode, then this is how you do it.
2: Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin.com. And sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com. All right, it's time for the quiz. Okay, so here's how it works. Each week, Josh and Chris go head-to-head in a 90s football quiz to choose which song gets to play out at the end of the show. Last week, Josh won and picked the theme tune to Gladiators and is currently 1-0 up for the series. So this week, the quiz is a familiar favourite, starting 11. Here's how it works I will pick a match From the 90s And Josh and Chris Will take it in turn To name a player Who played in that match If the player was a sub And came on They must pick again If they were an unused sub They lose It's a sudden death situation And we flipped a coin Before the show So Chris gets to go first The match in question Is the 1998 Charity Shield Oh come on Between Arsenal And Manchester United Chris you pick first. Peter Schmeichel. So I had. Correct. Um.
3: Marco from Oz? Correct. Nicholas and Elka? Correct. Oh, what? Roy King? Correct. Or Tony Adams? Correct. I mean. Paul. David Beckham? Paul David (laughs) Beckham That's what I call him
5: Paul David Beckham Correct Ryan Giggs Correct David Paul (laughs) (laughs) Scores. Correct Um, Lee Dixon Correct Dennis Bergkamp
2: Correct What? This is astonishing This is a high scoring game Um, Oh my god Nigel Winterburn Oh that's a good one Correct um, Patrick Vieira Correct This is phenomenal I tell you stuff. what
3: There was no injuries wasn't I thought one yeah. of these players Would be injured by now David Seaman Correct Emmanuel Petit
2: Correct There's oh. only two Arsenal players remaining This
3: is insane
2: uh, Andy Cole Correct Dennis Irwin Correct. Oh, oh, oh that's man. a. Irwin in '98 is a big, big. I know. Call. That's a to... the Champions League final. Yeah, I know. But you know.
3: Yeah. I didn't want to say it. Um, I tell you what. That ratcheted the pressure right back up. I
5: don't even know. <laughs> win for Cole, and then <laughs> come on, mate. Um. I mean, Gary Neville. Correct.
3: Come on. So it's the centre backs of Manu, Andy Cole's strike partner. That's it for them. And then, Uh, not confident on the other midfielder. And who is it? Another centre-back. Yeah. With Tony Adams. Correct. What do I mean? Martin Keown? Is that your answer? I mean, it's wrong, because you asked me that, but yeah. Correct. Correct is wrong or correct is correct? Correct is correct. Correct, yes! Back to Chris. Chris, I wouldn't want you to fail. I I do want you to fail, but I'm going to say, this could be a record here and this is totally non-fixed we could go through the whole match <laughs> yeah first time I've ever played
2: this game we are four players away three players away four players so would you like so, a, a quick can we recap? tell us who we're missing like so positions? you are missing an Arsenal midfielder okay yeah you are missing both Manchester United centre-backs and as a hint yeah. as a hint Man United only played one striker this game so you are missing a fifth midfielder okay okay go Chris
3: uh, okay. What a strange decision by Ferguson to play 4-5-1 in the charity seal. He got smashed 3-0, so... Did that?
5: Yeah. Oh, I'm going to kick myself. I'm going to go Ronnie Johnson. That is a hell of
2: a shout. Correct.
4: Oh!
2: <laughs> Ray Parler. Correct. Oh, no! Don't Straight back at him so Oh there's, man There's only two players left Oh my god This is
3: astonishing A Manchester United centre back This is centre-back. unbelievably
2: <laughs> exciting I've got to get back to the baby But this yeah. is <laughs> There's two um, So what is there so left? So there is a Manchester United centre back And a Manchester United midfielder yeah. I've only got one of these people right Haven't I? Sorry. I'm
3: just going to write my names down Oh Nicky Butt Correct oh. <laughs> Yaps
5: Correct. No!
3: Oh!
2: Shut up. The full
4: house. No, no way. way. No way.
2: I mean, I don't know how to break cross it.
3: Let's just end the episode on that.
2: So,
5: you know, uh, we should have the Arsenal 98 FA Cup final. Yeah? I've never heard it before. I've never in my heard life. of it either. It's, uh, it's pretty good, Ian writing the chorus. Okay.
3: Thank you for listening. Uh, we will be back next week when we will be reacquainted with Steve Bruce's novels about Steve Bond in the company of Ivo Graham. It is. An absolutely brilliant one, so do
5: listen in. See you next week. Robbie Slater, see you later.